Hi there and welcome to Raising Resilient Teens, the podcast version. My name is Sasha Lester and I'm so grateful you're here with me today, where we talk about all things teenagers, raising teenagers and the joys that go with it. With that, let's kick it off. And welcome back to another episode of Raising Resilient Teens. My name is Sasha Lester and today I'm joined by Kaya Slater, who is a transformational holistic health coach who serves humanity through a range of powerful modalities designed to tap into the integration of the mind, body and spirit. Kaya is an accomplished senior yoga and meditation teacher and teacher trainer with 24 years experience, a strong background in nutrition, energy healing, exercise physiology and PT, plus mindset coaching and ancient ritual. She combines a transformative umbrella of holistic healing and coaching services to bring about peace, balance and harmony to the mind, emotional body and spirit, allowing those she works with to find freedom, vitality and wellness once more and a deep sense of connecting to their truth. Kaya has a complete unique way of working. She is compassionate, supportive and nurturing and deeply connected to her soul. Her intuition is a powerful force in her work. She has divinely guided. She works with a range of aged from school children through to teens and through to adults of all ages. She captivates those she works with. Her clients receive outstanding results, transformation and change and are continuously empowered through this transformation. Holy, <laughs> what a bio. Ah, you read it so beautifully. I know. I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, my mum would be so proud. Welcome. Thank you Thank so you, much Sasha. for joining us. You have the floor. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what does that bio mean in, chick language I guess. Wonderful well thank you firstly so much for inviting me here and thank you for um, all of the all of the effort that you've put in making this happen and thank you for the amazing work that you do obviously um, I agree immensely that support for parents through the teen and the tween and teen years is extremely important Um, having a daughter my age also, but also spending a lot of time working with parents and with teenagers in the area. So I really value your work. And I'll, I'll clarify a little bit about what I do in, in more layman's terms, I think. So with teens and tweens, so I guess, you know, I do work with smaller children as well, but with the age group that we're focusing on today, I'd say probably from sort of nine up into that 17, 18 kind of stage. I spend a lot of time working with parents as their coach, as their counselor, as their guide, um, whilst they're facing various obstacles and challenges with kids and teens and tweens that are this in this age group, but also working with the children, the teens, the tweens directly themselves. And I do this through various different modalities that you just mentioned when we were talking. So my major focuses, I guess, would be transformational coaching, and spiritual coaching, as well as emotional healing and working with energetic trauma, with emotional trauma that is compacted in the body, accumulated stress, and also working with a lot of mental aspects as well. So the mental health and the the capacity that we have as human beings, regardless of what age, to be able to process our emotions accordingly. So we don't leave it duck and stagnant in the body. And I believe when we do leave the emotions and the the accumulation of stress in the mind untreated or not taken care of, then we get this accumulation 
accumulation of stress, which becomes um, explosive or maybe implosive in the emotional body. And the teenage years and the tween years tends to be an age where this becomes really apparent because what happens hormonally for teenagers and tweens is everything starts to change. And as the hormones start to change, their bodies start to change. And of course, you know, they're changing shape, they're changing the way they feel, they're changing the way that they smell, like it's literally everything is happening for these teens and tweens. And like any human being, the teen or the tween is going to take their stress, their mental stress, their emotional stress out on those that are close to them, which is going to be the parents. And so it becomes a very trying time for the parents and for the children themselves, the teens and tweens themselves, because the the communication often goes straight out of the window. With high emotions and reactivity in that age group, teenager or the tween doesn't know how to handle the emotion appropriately. And the parents also the same. You know, we do our best, but trying to handle um, maybe being spoken to harshly and having that emotional trauma thrown at you day by day whilst your teens and tweens are sort of transitioning can be really difficult. So I like to look at what I offer as tools for parents and for the teenagers and tweens to be able to manage these changes and manage this emotional mental stress. And I do this through yoga, through meditation, and through energy healing predominantly. So these seem to be the areas that organically um, parents and tweens and teens are drawn to work with me because I can really help people to process emotion, to heal emotion, and to be able to recognize it, which is really key for teenagers and tweens, is to be able to recognize it so they can um, learn how to put voice to it appropriately and learn how to communicate it appropriately rather than in either sort of implosive or explosive ways that can be quite damaging. So hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> it's it's fairly complex. I'm not going to yeah. lie. I'm sitting here going, you know, wow. What are some of the common obstacles out there that children are facing that you are seeing a pattern come through in your line of business? Yeah. Well, there. I mean, obviously there's many things. So we, we tend to be looking at either situations where children have experienced emotional and mental trauma, which they have held onto, and they maybe have not known how to work with it. Um, So we have a certain part of the brain, which helps us to develop um, processes, basically, to be able to heal. And a lot of children don't know how to do that till a bit later. So if they've got emotional and mental trauma, then it can be that they come in their teen years or tween, the tween sort of years, because it's now coming up to the surface to be healed. So a lot of parents actually notice anger. That seems to be a really common one. You know, so a lot of parents will come to me and say, yeah, my child is angry all the time, you know, swearing, screaming, shouting. Um, and another sort of way to look at that anger, I always sort of say anger is, you know, it's basically a byproduct of fear because we only ever experience anger when something is actually making us fearful in the first place. And anger is a result of that. So a lot of parents don't notice the fear, they notice the anger. And, you know, that's something for me that I can kind of work with when they're experiencing an angry child is that there is something that needs to come to the surface. And, you know, we can use yoga and meditation and holistic healing and especially energy healing as a way to bring that. So we can talk about it appropriately and do some healing work in order to, you know, sort of help the child to remove this sort of stress or tension out of the body. The other thing that I notice often in this age group, especially with girls, but it's not always girls, um, but is often to do with body image. 
you know, in the way that we look. So predominantly the teens, I mean, it's scary that it's so common in teens, but teens and tweens, they're starting to change, especially girls, obviously the breast development, they're getting hair in different parts of their bodies, hips are expanding slightly. And this can be a really challenging time for both males and females, but especially females because of all of these rapid changes. And this is something that becomes quite um, challenging for sort of two different reasons, I guess. A lot of children try to hide it because they're embarrassed. A lot of teenagers and tweens, you know, they're, they're embarrassed about their changing body. So then it becomes something that they become shameful about. And shame can be really challenging when we sort of don't like what's happening and we maybe don't have the communication from our parents that is helpful around it. You know, that can be one very common area. Just going back, I know when um, when I was working with Harry at the start of his uh, <laughs> demise of down the rabbit hole, I call it, he was very angry. He was a very angry angry person mm-hmm. and and in turn I was getting angry as well because I didn't have the tools now that I have now to deal with it and I think we really do we do our best with what we dealt with at that point in time mm-hmm. exactly. do you have some without going to you direct do you have like a whole bunch of tips and tricks that parents can take on board if they're just getting inundated with like you know anger, frustration. There's many things that, you know, parents can do. And because I work intuitively, that's always going to change sort of parent, parent, child to child. But the one sort of the key thing that drops out or drops in when you say that is actually listening to the child, listening to the teenager, listening to the tween and taking action. Because I think a lot of the times what we do is like, you know, throwing fire onto fire, exactly as you mentioned there, Sasha, your child's feeling angry. So his emotions are high. And then that fuels your emotions as well. So both of you are kept on going. It just kept on going (laughs) up. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens in an energetic sense is you are, you're basically lowering to each other's frequency, you know, so one frequency is low because there's anger. And so then you lower your frequency to match that. And then we end up stuck because we're just throwing anger at each other. Instead of that, then a really good tip for parents is to, you know, remember this kind of analogy. If you go out into the forest and there's a wolf there and it's angry and it's showing its claws and it's showing its and it's really charging anger towards you, you're not going to go up to it and sort of, you know, hassle it, ask if it's all right, or you're not going to keep going on or you're not going to get angry back. What we're going to do here is become non-reactive. So it's almost like allowing the teenager or the tween to have their process as long as it's safe, you know, as long as nobody's going to get hurt, but to have their process and then wait for the reactivity to calm down. When the reactivity calms down, the child or teenager becomes responsive instead of reactive. Whenever we're in reaction, there's no point trying to communicate rationally. We need to wait for the reactivity to calm and become responsive. You know, so if we allow that child to have their process and then when they've calmed down, we communicate with them is a great way, but also giving the child or the tween, the tween or the teenager the tools they need to calm themselves down is really where I come in. You know, so this is where I would be giving them breath techniques and giving them journaling techniques and giving them diversion techniques and various different methods. And often it is, you know, removing yourself from the situation, taking yourself outside, using a particular breath technique or a meditation. And this I always give to the parents and the child, you know, because I often get told by the parents, it's all the child, it's all the child, it's all the child, that that's 
not the perspective I'm coming in from. It's like, well, no, it's not. You know, it's it, the energy of everyone involved with the situation and those energies are clashing. So, you know, what tools can we put in place in order to really alleviate this stress? And with teenagers and tweens, often something so simple and with the parents as well, as taking 10 slow breaths before you answer can be so profound and so powerful, yet so simple. Because like you mentioned there with your son, that fire, reaction, reaction, mm-hmm. reaction. If we close our eyes and take 10 deep breaths, especially if we've communicated that process to each other, we switch from that flight or fright will reactive stage into that more parasympathetic, relaxed state of being. And then we're able to respond. And we find often that we don't even need any words. You know, we can just say, okay, let's let this all calm down. We'll come back to it later. You know, so teaching these simple techniques is really life-changing. And various different people will need different meditations, um, different practices, depending on what they're going through. Journaling and writing down something repeatedly can be a very great way for the parents and the kids to process their emotions as well. You know, but depending on what they're going through as an individual, it's always going to vary slightly. I'm just sitting here thinking and remembering back to that moment where, you know, Harry was in full-on rage at me and Hmm. it would have taken all my energy to do 10 very calm breaths. Yeah. Um, So what did you do instead? Oh, look, it was a year. It was years ago. I think I was at a stage where I could at least respond calmly. I think I probably parked it. Um, You know, you're really angry right right now. We'll come back and talk about this later. I think removing myself from the situation was my coping mechanism. That's a good coping mechanism. But what you show there is that you didn't become reactive. So there would be no need for you to take the 10 deep breaths. But in a situation, situation like that, then maybe it taught to your son back then that he would take those 10 deep breaths whilst you would remove yourself from the situation. Because the breathing pattern, you know, the breathing pattern, when we deepen the breath and we breathe into the belly, it is scientifically going to change the state of the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. We're going to switch. So it will actually calm the child down. But it's not something that, you know, is going to be very easy in the beginning with all children for them to get into fall into that pattern. What you did there was a great technique because you didn't get reactive back. I'm sure there were days when you did were human. <laughs> you know, I know when I know when I get re- reactive back with my daughter, I find I actually will Ayanna, I'm really sorry. I did get react right there and that that was not my intention and I'm going to go and take 10 deep breaths and go and stand out in the garden and then when we've both calmed down, we'll talk about it. You know, so even just owning it and teaching your child or your teenager or your tween to own it as well is a really healthy method. You know, I teach a lot of the kids that I work with and a lot of the parents to say it. I'm actually feeling quite angry right now and quite reactive. So I'm going to go out and take a walk. I'm actually feeling quite angry or reactive right now. So I'm going to go to my room by myself. And that acknowledgement means we're kind of disassociating ourselves from the actual action. We're not saying I'm angry and screaming and shouting. We're actually recognizing it as a behavior that we can separate ourselves from. How early on should we be implementing these processes like I'm thinking back now and these would have been great for me when my kids were like 11 and 12 before they actually hit those 
drama moments of teenage years of going through suspension and drugs and alcohol and all those thoughts like mm-hmm. I definitely couldn't start that with Harry at the later stage um mm-hmm. Addie now she's 14 and a half she's a totally different child to Harry mm-hmm. totally more receptive and she's very much the writer like me but even getting getting her to say journal they just kind of don't know what to do or even what journaling is like do you think it needs to be started around that nine or ten like with oh the well the- to be honest I think it needs to be started is much young, younger, you know. So yeah. it's like anything. It's like it's like any learned behavior. Until we've learned it, we don't know it. So therefore, it's not happening. You know, so if you taught your child to keep a journal when they were four or five years old, then that would become learned behavior and ritualistic. And when it's ritualistic, the child will do it every single day. And they will also build a pattern of awareness that says to them when they feel a certain way that they need to journal because they become aware of journaling as a process that helps them to release. And it's like anything, you know, imagine if your child starts gymnastics at age two or three, then they're going to be probably very good at gymnastics if they keep it going. Whereas if we stick them in at 11 or 12, (laughs) it can be really challenging for them because it's happening later in life. One thing I will say, I don't think it's ever too late, but if you think of it this way, it takes at least 40 days to develop a permanent habit. And in that 40 days, that's doing something every single day. So if I want to develop a permanent habit, I need to do that thing for 40 days straight for it to become an ingrained ritualistic behavior. For something that is going to be habitual forever, you can even sort of stretch that out and say 90 days. Like if I wanted to learn to meditate every day, I'd need to give it a 90 day period for it to become as ritualistic as brushing my teeth, for example. So we do have to have that consistency. And often parents give up too quickly. And I know that to be true because I work with a lot of parents and a lot with adults in my coaching programs, but also because we're human and it gets very draining and very tired. We get very tired and exerted and exhausted from trying to get a child to do something. The younger the child, the more responsive they are to these little key sort of maintenance tools. So, you know, and I work these with children 40 really days, young. Sorry, yeah, and go, these 40 days or 90 days to implement yeah. a new habit, it, they have to be continuous days. Like if you do it for 10 days and you miss three, it's back to day one. Like you don't get to add them all in. Am I correct in saying you that? You are correct. I mean, it depends how strict you are as a teacher. So, you know, for me with meditations, we have something called a 40-day sadness. So we have this 40-day practice where we do 40 consecutive, consecutive days with one specific meditation that has a specific function. And if we miss a day, yes, we go straight back to the beginning and we start again. If we're talking about missing one or two days, it's not the end of the world. What happens often is we miss two or three days and that becomes a spiral and then we fall off the wagon. And this is this is what can be sort of detrimental is when we're going in and out. And often you see your child has that, maybe has that pattern um, of yo-yoing in and out. And they learn that from us. That's where that comes from. <laughs> you know, they see what we do and they see what people do around them. You know, whereas if we get them young, I mean, I teach these meditative techniques and journaling techniques to five and six-year-olds and have done for years. And, you know, I know that a lot of the parents I work with regularly will say, oh, well, you know what? My daughter, such and such, the other day, 
When she was upset, she sat down and did the Satanama meditation that you've taught her. Or she said to me straight away, I need to go and see Kaya, the lady with the crystals. Or I need to get my journal out. So they know that they respond well to these practices. So therefore, they're more likely to do them. So it's not impossible to start this when kids are older. But what is a great idea is not to try to be the, the one to implement it as the parent. You know, send them somewhere. Send them to a yoga class. Send them to a meditation class. Get them into to um, a certain healing practice or a counselor or a coach to talk to because they're much more responsive to someone who is not mum or dad, as you know. <laughs> they're, they're always better behaved when they go to someone else's place. Oh, angels. Yeah. I get told all the time that my daughter is an absolute angel, you know, and I think, yeah, you don't see her every day after school, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you know? It's um, yeah, it's true. But, you know, that, that, that sort of makes sense as well because I also see that in the reverse. I see the child talking to the parent and the teenager talking to the parent and the, t- the parent doesn't want to hear because it's hard. So then when they don't want to hear, then they don't actually listen, you know? So there's that, yeah. that there's a real benefit of bringing someone else in because then there's a neutral party communicating, you know, between the parent and the teenager. And there's a big difference between being able to say someone, oh, did you hear what I said? And did you actually, you know, were you listening to me? And did you hear exactly what I said? Did you take it in? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because that, that ability to, to listen and to, we can hear it, but that doesn't mean that that's going to activate the action response within us. The action response will only happen when the child or when the teenager or the tween is actually ready to do it. It's the same with an adult. I can guide an adult as many times as I want towards a certain practice. The only time they'll start doing it is when it's right for them. And and that's how it needs to be because only we can change ourselves. We can get all of the facilitation in the world, but if we don't do it, it's not going to work. You know, so we, we have to remember that with our children as well. And when they're taught something by an external person, there's often a higher level of respect for that person having that knowledge than there is for the child because they're more emotionally invested with their parents. You know, so it makes sense. I remember my own mother, you know, not taking nutritional advice from me for years, even though I'm a trained nutritionist, but then telling me, oh, this dietitian told me to do this. And, you know, and it's like, mom, I'm 42 years old and I've been a nutritionist for many years and I've often mentioned these things. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, she's not ready to take that advice from her daughter. Yeah. It, it, it yeah. sometimes, it, it, it does, it, you know, she's better these days, but it, it does sort of affect how we take the information. So getting that external person in is a really great idea, especially if you're struggling as a parent. You mentioned that you work with children of all ages. What yeah. is, what's the favourite age that you like to work with? What age are you working with the most at the moment? It actually really varies. It's a great question because I, I have some regular children that have been coming to me since they were three or four. And they still come now and they are six, seven, eight, nine or 10. And maybe they've done, you know, lots of work, I call it, where they come weekly for a while or fortnightly for a while. And then later in life, they might come sort of less regularly. And a couple of girls that I'm thinking of now are now 10 and 11. And they come when they're going through things. The parents will just contact me and say, this is happening. I need to bring her back for a block of sessions or, you know, that kind of thing. So I have a lot of kids, sort of the younger age, but 
teens and tweens I've worked a lot with extensively, I'd say through more than one modality. So I tend to do quite a lot of teen and tween yoga and meditation and mindfulness, which is aimed at that particular age group. So that might be group classes or private classes. And then I work with them in the more um, healing realm as well with energy healing to help release emotions that are trapped in the body. So I'd say it can really vary. Sometimes I look at my books and I'm full with teenagers. And then other times I look and there's lots of small kids, um, which is really great. And I really love to get the kids coming from a small age, from a young age, because I've worked with some kids who are now in their, you know, teens, tweens, even some couple are in their 20s. And I actually work with their parents as well. And just seeing the women or the young men that they are now, because they've had these skills for such a long time is just unbelievable. And I look at it and think, God, I wish I had those skills when I was a young child so I could navigate myself at that age in my sort of 17, 18, 19, 20 year old um, phase where I was just, you know, off the charts crazy. Whereas I look at these and I think, wow, that's great that they've had these skills, you know. So yeah, it does vary. But I'd say, your child is never too young to receive energy healing and yoga and meditation magic uh, or never too old. You know, I get people bringing teens to me all the time that have never done anything like that before, you know, and I do relate to teens quite well. So um, I, once they've met me once, you know, often it's getting them through the door the first time the parents struggle because they don't know what to expect. Yep. And that leads in probably to my next question, like what are some of the situations that parents would be coming to you going, this is the situation, can you help? Yeah. So there's been quite a few things and I'll focus mostly on teens and sort of tweens with this question, um, just because that seems to be more sort of uh, related. But there's there's often trauma from maybe parental divorce, maybe parental abuse, things that children have seen and then they've become older and now they know the difference. They know the difference between right and wrong and they're now processing things that they've seen and experienced. So I've worked with quite a few teenage girls who have witnessed things happening to their parents and witnessed bad divorces, arguing, fighting, screaming, shouting, and they're now processing it because they've learned that what they saw was not right. And so a lot of parents bring their children and tweens to me, teens to me for that kind of thing. A lot of it is the body image stuff. Girls starting to complain about their weight. Um, a lot of eating disorders. I worked with eating disorders for years and now I do it in whenever it comes to me, but I did specifically work with eating disorders at one point. So this is, you know, body image. Maybe they're feeling like they don't love their body. They're feeling overweight. They don't like their breast, you know, these kind of things as well. So we work with a lot of body image. And also there are things where often parents don't know what the hell is going on. <laughs> So they will just sort of say, well, can you help my child? Because this is happening and I don't know what is going on. And all I will get will be the story, you know. And so this often, this is boys. This is a real boy thing because the boy tends to, especially the teen and tween boy, doesn't know how to express the emotion as easily. Um, girls can often find it slightly easier. And often with parents, they, if they have boys that are having issues, they've maybe noticed a behavior. You know, it can be drugs, it can be alcohol, it can be um, staying out late, it can be anger, not cleaning a room, whatever it is. Um, but this is also often something that the boys come and they don't want me to share with their parents what is going on. They just want somewhere they feel safe to talk. And energy healing helps them to learn how to process the emotion and how to bring it to the surface. So it really does vary. You know, there's so many stories and I've seen a lot of ch children who have been abused as well. 
um, you know, in various different ways and parents that have been abused as well. So, yeah, that can be a big thing as well. What about if the children are not receptive, like the parents are coming to you with a situation, can you help my child? Yes, I can yes. help your child. But then the child is not receptive to that mm. um, way of help. And I only ask this because mm. when Harry was going through situation with the drugs, I yeah. said to him, honey, would you be okay if we send you to a hypnotherapist? And I remember his words so vividly. He said, mm -hmm. if you want to send me, if you want to pay a shitload of money to send me to a crazy old lady where I sit and fall asleep in a chair, go right mm -hmm. ahead. How old and was he then? Probably maybe about 14 and a half, 15. Yeah. And I said to him, I said, you know what? Yes, I do. And mm -hmm. I packed him off and... Mm -hmm. The hypnotherapist said to me, and she was lovely, she said, I'm not going to take any more money because mm, he's, not he, he's kind of like beating the system. He's sitting there and, it, yeah, he's he's not open. And he was, um, I think he was high at the time. So he kind of, mm. he wasn't ready to receive. And yeah. what can parents do when all we want to do is help our child and our mm. motherly instinct is to fix the problem, but the child doesn't actually acknowledge that there is even a problem. To be. And that, I mean, that is a difficult one because, you know, you, you can never force your child. And I actually am quite um, clear with that boundary when I speak to parents is that your child needs to be open to coming to work with me, you know, and, and I've never had a child who's or a teenager or a tween who's not open to working with me, I must say, in, in 24 years of this. I've never had that experience. I have had experiences where the first two or three times the parent is very present, you know, so they might say he, she doesn't feel comfortable um, if I'm not there. And I'll say, well, that's absolutely fine. You can be there for the whole time. You can be in, you know, whatever. Um, I've had parents who've said their little ones wouldn't be comfortable. And as soon as they chat with me for five minutes, the child has told the mum to go, <laughs> you know, so it, I'm very good with the communication with them. Yeah, off you go. Like the, the girl I'm thinking of now, her mum has been seeing me for years that she flapped and flapped about how this child was going to be angry. And I just knew this child was not. I can feel it. I'm intuitive. And as soon as she came, I had, I think we had one conversation and she just turned around to her mum and said, mum, you can go now. And the mum was, so it was the mum that actually was causing most of the anxiety. But yeah. you can't force your child, you can't force your teenager, you can't force your tween. But what you can do is a little bit of compromise, you know, let's go once or let's do two or three sessions and then see how that goes. If after two or three sessions, there's no improvement and you don't want to continue going to see care, then we just call it quits. And I, I really do encourage parents to try that. If the child immediately says no, it really depends on the age as well, because if that child is, is young and is, you know, under 16, then really the parent is the one to make the decision, you know, and a lot of parents will say, no, he doesn't want to, or no, she doesn't want to. And I'm like, well, you're the parent and your child's having a lot of issues and this is, you know, going to get worse. So maybe you need to say, well, you are going to go. And if they don't want to two or three times in, then I'd say definitely don't force them. If they're older, it and can be tricky. up on that? If, if what you're doing is not working or they're not engaging. Yeah, but I've never had that. So yeah. like, I, and also because I think the way that I do work, it probably for me also, I only attract people that are 
<laughs> ready to work with me. And also I have had it with parents before where I know their child's not ready to work with me. And I'll be very open about that and just say, I don't think it's a good idea that you bring her along. You know, I've had that recently as well, where there was two parents, both separated. One parent was keen, the other parent wasn't. And I just sort of say, no, this doesn't feel right. You need to get really clear that it's okay for both of you and that the child wants to come you know, because otherwise it's just going to add to their stress if they're being forced. It can, it can be really tricky if that happens. But in my own experience, after I've met a child at least once, I feel I can make sure they're comfortable, you know, and I've had also, I have all sorts of systems and I'm just thinking about one teenage boy that I worked with who he would um, express himself through like rap and hip hop music. And often he would just come and play me these like hip hop wow. songs and rap songs. And then once he got more comfortable, he would write them. And it was like his way of journaling. So when I suggested journaling, he said, well, can I write rap instead? It's like, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so and this was a this was a teenager who really didn't want to come. And he would actually be asking to see me telling his mom he was coming after he, you know, because he was getting so much from it. So I, I feel got, like signatures from him just in case he turns into oh, like he might get famous. He might. I was so, you know, because I've had a lot of kids sort of say, can I draw instead? You know, a lot of if they're artistic, they like to draw instead of journal. Um, but I mean, it is just about consistency. And, you know, you're going to get people who resist. You get adults who resist. You're going to get children who resist. But it's about sort of making sure that they, they have all the information they need. And then maybe there's a little bit of gentle encouragement in the beginning. And then there is also that respect if it doesn't work for them just to um, just to let it go. You know, I'm really not about forcing kids or teenagers. I don't think it helps. They'll come back around when they're ready. You mentioned earlier about eating disorders. Yeah. And so I went to a boarding school and yeah. we're coming up for our 30-year reunion next year, which is crazy. <laughs> and, and I know back then there was girls at our school that, um, you know, they'd they'd have their lunch and they'd immediately go to the toilet and attempt to throw mm. up or mm. um, what are the eating disorders that are out there now? Like are they, yeah. are they the same? Has it gotten better? Oh, I mean, it's funny you say boarding school because this is always one of the worst places. And when I was living in Dubai, actually, where I used to live, I worked with eating disorders quite a lot and most of the girls that I worked with were from boarding schools. So, you know, they, they're already emotionally quite challenged because they're away from their parents for long periods of time. And then there is a, a very different supervision for them yeah. as well, because there's no emotional loving support. It's more sort of disciplinary kind of supervision. So there's a lot of eating disorders in boarding schools. Nowadays, I would say there's not really big changes. The, the most common things that we're looking at is bulimia, which is it, binge eating often and then making yourself sick or not even binging, just normal meals and making yourself sick. And then there is anorexia, which is where people are more likely to be starving themselves. There's a lot of disordered eating, which is um, it's more like um, not particularly focusing on one area, but it is always focusing on how we can um, basically abuse ourselves through food and restrict our calorie intake. So it can be a combination of binging, starving yourself, eating too little, not eating at all, you know, this disordered pattern. And also that, that kind of obsession with how many calories has it got in and you know I'd, I'd say to parents the thing to really be careful of is especially if your child is your teenager your tween is doing gymnastics or ballet or any of these um, activities where you know stereotypically you need to be very skinny uh, this has become an issue oh, it's getting worse I'm seeing it a lot 
where very young teens between 8 and 12 are comparing themselves to their their teammates because they don't have a six-pack or they don't have this and they start to restrict calories and start to watch what they're eating really young. I'd say if parents are recognizing that, that's warning bells straight away. If they're recognizing that their children are young and they're, you know, reading the food labels and refusing food and skipping meals, um, to be really aware of that because that is a telltale sign that something is going on. And also to listen to the language. You know, I'm very mindful of this with my own daughter um, who is a gymnast, but listening to the language, the way that they talk about food and the way they talk about body image and being skinny and being this is something that we really need to make sure we're hearing properly. Um, because if children are getting self-conscious about their weight and the way they look and the food that they're eating at a young age, then it's a slippery slope. We really want to be on top of that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, time is flying by. Holy cow. <laughs> um, can you can you talk a little bit about ancient ritual? Yeah. So basically, y- yoga yoga is ancient ritual. So if we look at yoga as a modality, you know, often in the West we know yoga as physical poses, which we call asana. Asana is a Sanskrit word, which just just means postures, for example. And so most Western perspective of yoga is that part the physical part, which they look at as exercise. Yoga is, in fact, an actual science of life that incorporate much more than just physical poses. Physical poses and breath techniques and meditation is kind of the, the really kind of big common areas, so meditation and various different ways of breathing to control anxiety and stress and depression and to cleanse the body. And physical poses is where most people sort of focus their attention. But a lot of the work that we do in yoga is these ancient ritualistic practices. So things that we do routinely, you know, so in Sanskrit, we have a word which which is abhyasa. And abhyasa means something you do routinely, consistently for your health. And in yogic health, we're talking about holistic health. So physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And so when we do something that is a technique that comes from very ancient scriptures, which is where all the yogic teachings come from, very old books, if you like, um, and spiritual practices within them, we might call that an ancient ritual. So we might do something where we cleanse the body. For example, um, we use various different oils to swish the mouth and scrape the tongue and clean the sinuses. We also might use various different breath techniques with different exercises to cleanse the abdominal tract and things like that. So ancient ritual, it often sort of incorporates various different practices that work with the mind, the emotions, the physical body and the spirit all in one go. And it's something that has been used for, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in in the yogic traditions. And we do this to promote health. You know, it's always got that intention of, of health. So if we look at an ancient ritual that I might use with a teenager, it would often be something like positive affirmation, you know. So we know positive affirmation a lot now in the West from the more modern way of looking at it, where we pick a positive statement and we say it over and over again. Actually, that repetition in in Sanskrit, we call it mantra. This is ancient ritual of repeating something time and time again, which is going to be beneficial for the physical, mental, emotional body. So with a teenager, we might give them something to say over and over or even give them something to write over and over. We might give them a breath technique. So breathing and counting the inhale or counting the exhale. 
you know, so ancient ritual can can really have so many different faces depending on who I'm working with. And with teenagers, it will be often something more simplified, you know, and using crystals and things like that can also help and using incense and using essential oils that can all be part of ritual. So yeah, there's lots of different ways we can look at that. Thank you. No, that's great. A great explanation. Thank you. Before we close out, some final tips for the parents of teens, anything. Yeah. So with those teenagers and with the tweens, just listen to them. The way that they will communicate will be very different because their hormones and their reactivity will often be very heightened. The ego is also under a lot of pressure at that age. So listen to them. And even though you might be getting the reactivity in full force, if they're reactive a lot, um, anger, certainly there could be something under the surface. And if you're not able to listen to them appropriately, make sure they have an external person to speak to. I think all teenagers and tweens need that, you know, so they have an external out because that is going to make the world of difference when it comes to a child expressing themselves effectively and appropriately. That person that is external could also have really good techniques of teaching them how to do this. Where really good tip is make sure that your tween or your teenager is moving their body regularly. So they need to be doing of movement, whether it's a, a hobby, a gymnastics, yoga, something that moves their body. When we physically move, then if we're stagnating and not keeping ourselves active, I would also really suggest that we feed them really nutritious, healthy, balanced foods, because this is going to be really key to maintaining harmony in the body so that there's not an accumulation of anxiety or stress due to uh, a lack of nutrients or a lack of hormone support from the foods that we eat. So that's really important as well. And just making sure that there's patience there. You know, it's a short window of time. I know it can feel like forever when you've got a, a teen or a tween, but it's a short window of time where they actually need us more than ever. And the way that we handle those years is really key to how they enter into early adulthood, you know, so patience is really important. And I would suggest for parents, you get the treatments that you need, you get the, the ritual that you need, you get the yoga, the meditation, the walks in nature, the massages, as much as you need as well, because your cup needs to be full. If you're trying to manage uh, awkwardness or difficulty with teens or tweens from a depleted space, it's never going to go well for you. You know, so it's about kind of making sure that everyone is using the tools that they have in order to keep their vibration quite high. So we're doing the good things, you know, and that that's really key for this time. And like, you know, it's it's not a long time. And if we can remember how difficult it was for ourselves going through those teen and tween years, then that can really help us to understand more of what's going on emotionally because the the hormones and the and the sort of the the fluctuation of those hormonal secretions can really affect a teen or a tween in a way that they actually don't have much insight into the way they behave. We can't expect them to develop that insight if we don't teach them how to. So if we can't teach them ourselves, make sure that they do have that person who can. Thank Pleasure. you. So much. Hopefully that was helpful. Oh, absolutely. And for all the listeners, I will drop all your social media uh, links and your websites and your booking links and your bio in the comments and people can um, catch you there. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And just like that, it's a wrap. 
I hope you've enjoyed the last 20 or so minutes and have walked away with some golden nuggets of information. If you'd like to join our Raising Resilient Teens Facebook group, the link will be in the comments. And until next time, ciao!